All right. Does everybody have a handout for today with the two triangles at the bottom? Got that? Good, good. Okay. Well, let us uh, begin with a word of prayer. Sorry that we are five minutes late. You know, in some churches, that's still five minutes early. But uh, not here. So why don't I open us up with a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for today and all the good things that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word, uh, to learn more about you, your nature, as you've revealed it to us. Have us to think rightly, to think biblically about these things, that we would be careful with our words in honor of you, and that we would uh, encourage one another today through this study and through our conversations and the singing and, and all the things that will take place here this morning. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there you go. There's your first word or first question. What are the three words that you must use to explain the biblical doctrine of the Godhead, the Trinity? What are the three words? These are kind of theological words, but they all end in I-T-Y. What are they? Singularity, plurality, and equality. Very good. What is singularity? One. Yeah, but in reference to the Godhead, what is God? There is one God, he is indivisible with liberty. No, uh, he, is, he is indivisible, he does not make parts. There is but one God, right? What about plurality? Three persons? There are three persons, right? There is a plurality of persons. God, in the very first chapter of the Bible, says us in reference to himself. Let us make man in our image. What about equality? This one's a little trickier when it comes to explaining. What is equality? They're all equal, not one's above the other. Okay. Kind of good. I don't want to get And here, here's what I would like for you to, to say when it comes to equality. Each person is fully God on his own. Each person on his own is fully and truly God himself. That is going to protect you from using bad illustrations. That's going to protect you from believing bad things about the Godhead. <clears throat> We're going to talk through some of those things today. Equality. Each person is fully God on his own. It's not a one-third, one-third, one-third thing. Um, and it's not one God taking turns being each of the three persons. But simultaneously... Father, Son, and Spirit exist eternally, and each one on his own is fully, truly God. That's equality. All right? Oh, I forgot I have a little, have a little clicker here. I don't have to walk over the computer. Okay. Oh, fun. All right. We're just, uh, this is like a real professional racket we got here. <laughs> okay. Look at that. All right, so remember these three. God is one, singularity. God is multiple. He has revealed himself as three, plurality. And all three are God. You guys had uh, this handout from Tyler last week, right? Very good handout. Keep it in your Bible. If you don't have a copy, I believe we have we do have extras here. Um, so you can get those after the class. Keep it in your Bible. It's got uh, great references in Scripture for you. Um, that's a great little cheat sheet to keep keep with your Bible. So now we're going to talk about illustrations today. Illustrations of the Trinity, and we are going to discover together where these illustrations break down. Why are, why are certain teachings about the Godhead, even if they're um, kind of passive teachings or hidden teachings behind an illustration, why are they wrong? 
And as we present these illustrations and walk through them, I want you to answer these questions. You hear an illustration of the Trinity, ask yourself, what is representing God in this illustration? Okay, so you're saying the Trinity is like blank. What is God in, in that? How does that work? Is each person God on its own in the illustration? Okay, so that's something to think through. So that's equality. Is this really teaching the equality of the persons? Are the components in existence simultaneously? So as the illustration is presented and you're analyzing it, are each of the components that represent the persons, are they in existence simultaneously or is it uh, sequential? And is God singular in this illustration? Is God singular in the illustration? Those are the things that I want you to look for as we walk through these. So the first illustration is this. Someone comes up to you and says, God is like the sun. God is like the sun. The sun is the star, the body of the sun. The sun produces light and heat. Just like the Godhead, where you have the Father, and then from the Father come the Son, in the Holy Spirit. What do you think of this? How can we critique this illustration? <laughs> it seems so innocent, doesn't it? A four-year-old can understand. Well, a four-year-old can understand heresy. <laughs> What's the heresy here? Okay, in what way? You could say that word. They are, you were about to say a word. They are what? Of the, of the sun. Very good. They are produced by the sun. They come forth from the sun. Uh, light and heat do. This is the heresy. You've got a little table there. So you can fill this out. Big word, subordinationism. Subordinationism. This is the teaching of Arianism, it's also called, or subordinationism, meaning the, the Son and the Spirit are generated by the Father. Because light and heat are generated by the star, aren't they? Light and heat come forth because the star pre-exists them. So there's a teaching out there, and Jehovah's Witnesses believe this and some other cults, that the Father existed first, and this is Mormonism too, the Father existed first and brought forth the Son and the Spirit. That's what that illustration is teaching. That God the Father is God, the Son and the Spirit are creations or products of God, and the Son and the Spirit have a lesser essence. To combat this teaching, you need to explain the equality of the persons. Equality. So as Jerry pointed out, that illustration rejects the equality of the persons. Um, because, it, of course, the light and the heat are products. So you explain equality. That the, that the Son and the Spirit, they're God on their own. They're not products of the Father, are they? It, is it a big deal if you say that the Son and the Spirit are products of the Father? Yes. Because all of a sudden, they are now a lesser essence than the Father himself. So you want to look at passages like John 1, where it explains in great detail about this Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. No one has seen the Father at any time, but the Son, He has exegeted Him. He has explained Him. 
John 17, 5, Jesus praying, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you from the beginning. The Son has existed in all eternity in the glory of God. The Father and the Son share in the same glory. And in Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit, he is called God, isn't he? He's not called a product of God. He, in fact, is God himself. So uh, we want to guard against subordinationism, which is a heresy. Um, In each one of these, I want to tell you who are the proponents of this. Um, Where will you find this teaching today? I mentioned the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I mentioned the term Arianism. Uh, Arius was a man who lived in the 3rd or 4th century A.D. He was in the uh, Christian, I guess I could say Christian church, he, uh, yeah, I don't know where he falls in the timeline with Constantine, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But he was a self-proclaimed Christian, and he taught about the Godhead that the Father has existed for all eternity, and he is the one who created the Son. Uh, for instance, when you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, they will likely want to turn to Colossians 1, where it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And what do they mean by that? Why do they want to turn there? Yeah, right. And and firstborn, right? He's the first one born of God. That makes him a product of God. He's no longer God himself on his own. He's now a product of God. And really what's going on relationally in this view, son and spirit, the, the son of God and the spirit of God, are dependent upon God the Father for their existence. And is the Son of God dependent on anyone? Okay, let's let's try this again. <laughs> is the Son of God dependent on anyone? No. Because he is? God. God, okay. Is the Spirit of God dependent on anyone? No. Because he is? God. Yes, he's the one true God of the universe. A few years ago, I think it was 2015, our theme at Onion Days, we had a banner with this and we had t-shirts that said it. Jesus, the one true God, the man who is God. Jesus is the one true God of the universe. There will be people who will say, yeah, we believe Jesus is God. Well, do you believe he's the one true God of the universe? Well, when you phrase it that way, we didn't mean that when we said Jesus is God, right? Well, we Christians do believe that. He is the one true God. Do you believe God will condemn a person for believing in subordinationism? You say, yeah, this is an error, it's not right, but will God really reject someone for believing in subordinationism? Unless you believe I am, in that sense. There you go, very good. Jesus said, unless you believe I am, meaning that Jesus is Yahweh, the one true God, you will die in your sins. So it's serious stuff, isn't it? Okay, we have to recognize that. Other questions on this one before we move on to the next illustration? Okay, you've heard this one probably. God is like water. God is like water. Water can be found in ice, solid form. Water can be found uh, in liquid form, of course, and as a gas, water vapor, just as uh, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. What's wrong with this? What can't be all three at the same time? 
molecule. Very good. It's more specifically, that H2O molecule. So that's why it's important to ask yourself, what is God in this illustration? Well, it's the H2O molecule. That one tiny isolated molecule cannot be ice, liquid, and vapor at the same time, can it? It has to take turns. It goes in modes. So you can freeze. You can take the liquid water out of the sink, so it's in liquid. You can freeze it, then it's solid, and then you can melt it down and evaporate it, and then it becomes vapor. But it can't be all three at the same time. And that's an issue. That's an issue. It's called modalism. You can write that down, modalism. I am supposed to be having a debate with a modalist later this month. We, it was supposed to be in September, and then it was supposed to be another date in September, and then it was supposed to be the beginning of November, and now it's the end of November. Um, modalism. It's a, uh, it's a heresy. Modalism teaches that God is singular, but not simultaneously plural. Simultaneous is the important aspect here with modalism. God is singular, but he's not simultaneously plural. He manifests himself, and that's the word they like, is manifestations instead of persons. God has three manifestations. There are three modes of God. Three modes. That's why it's called modalism. Because God is sometimes the Father, sometimes the Son, sometimes the Spirit. How do you combat this teaching? Which of the three words, singularity, plurality, or equality, which of the three words do you need to explain in more detail to help someone understand the Trinitarian perspective? The answer to each of those is really all three. Because <clears throat> uh, each one of these messes up all three in some way. But Tyler just said plurality. Yeah, because plurality includes simultaneous plurality, doesn't it? God does not take turns as being Father, Son, and Spirit. He is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. So you need to stress the simultaneous aspect of plurality there. And you can do that through Genesis 1.26. Again, God said, let us make man in our image. They do some funny things with that verse. Because when you believe God is not simultaneously Father, Son, and Spirit... Who's the us in Genesis 1, 26? Whose image? Our image. And yeah, they'll say angels. They'll say just like, um, this is the illustration they use. Here I am at the front of the class and I'll say, okay, let us look to the board or let us, um, let us write on the board. Well, only one person is writing on the board, but I just said, let us write on the board. Is that what God is doing in Genesis 1, 26? Well, no, because it's not just let us make He's also making an our image. And the angels don't share the image of God, do they? No. No. no okay. We already covered anthropology, didn't we? Didn't we talk through this? Or have we not done the anthropology? I can't even remember. Um, angels are not made in the image of God. And so let us make man in our image shows a simultaneous plurality of God. Uh, Matthew 3, the baptism of Jesus. What's going on at the baptism of Jesus? Who's, who's getting baptized? Okay, then what happens? Okay. And there's a voice from heaven. Right. Wow. Well, all three at the same time doing things that are different from one another. That seems pretty clear, doesn't it? Well, they have an answer for that. And after I have that debate, I'll, it'll come up in the debate. I'll share that with you guys. And 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I love this verse. Uh, someone turned there. The very end of 2 Corinthians, the last verse of the whole book of 2 Corinthians. Paul signs off this letter saying, 
May these things be with you. The grace of Jesus, God the Son, the love of God the Father, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Are those three things with us simultaneously as God's Christian church? <laughs> yeah, you better believe it. Because all three persons are ministering to us in these ways. Isn't that awesome? Modalism. So who teaches modalism? Well, the first one was Sibelius. That's why this can sometimes be called Sibelianism. Just like subordinationism can be called Arianism. Modalism can be called Sibelianism. It's always some guy with a weird name in the early church and he gets a heresy named after him. Sibelianism. There's also, uh, there are also Unitarians. So uh, a denomination within Unitarianism is the United Pentecostals, UPCI, United Pentecostal Church International. That is a cult that teaches uh, modalism. And it's a pretty big cult. In the Philippines, it's really big. If you know anybody in the Philippines, if you ever go to the Philippines, UPCI, it's a big deal over there. The man I'm going to be debating is in Jamaica. Uh, there are lots of oneness Pentecostals in Jamaica. They have, uh, or in the Caribbean, really. They've got a stronghold in a lot of places there, teaching modalism, oneness Pentecostals. They're sometimes called Jesus-only Pentecostals because they believe the name of Jesus is, or the name of God is Jesus. Um, whole big complicated uh, system of theology we could talk about sometime. But those are some of the proponents of modalism. Doesn't Judaism get close to that? So, so Judaism would be Unitarian. Um, they believe one God, one person. So oneness Pentecostals, one God, one person. He takes turns being Father, Son, Spirit. And of course, Judaism, uh, they don't see Jesus as the Messiah. So uh, Messiah hasn't come yet. They don't have a doctrine of that. But as far as the Spirit of God is concerned, they would take a similar view where God is manifesting himself in, in, as a spirit. Okay? So now, this one's a little harder. Will God condemn a person for believing in modalism? Now, what Travis said in response to the first one was Jesus saying, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Well, modalists believe that Jesus is God. They believe he is the one true God of the universe. Right? They just don't believe Father, Son, and Spirit exist simultaneously. So how serious is this? Is this just an oopsie, or is this a sin? <laughs> it's a sin. <laughs> okay, well, let's explain our conviction on this. Why, why do we take this one just as seriously as the last one? Yeah, we got to be careful on what doctrines we say that about. Because you could say that, I bet you would say the same thing for premillennialism, right? It's pretty clear that there's a future kingdom. No, that's not pretty clear. Okay. <laughs> well, who decides what's clear and what's pretty clear? We have to be careful, don't we? We do have to be careful. Because we are talking about the nature of God, this is more serious than other things. This is a very serious primary doctrine. If we get the nature of God wrong, what do we have left? Andy? Well, <clears throat> United Pentecostals, like you said, are 
there's a very large, there's a large number of people that fall into that category. Yeah. And this is, that to me defines them as a cult. They're, they're failing on the basic self-revelation of who God says that he is. Yeah. That's very serious. Yeah. Melissa? I think also if it becomes like this doctrine that you uphold and like make a huge deal out of, which they seem to do, then that seems more concerning than maybe just someone who is a new believer and just doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Because there will be people that will come across in life who are newer Christians who just think that this is how God is. I mean, that's just what they've thought for whatever reason, whatever presuppositions they brought into the Christian faith. And that is different. Um, when someone is shown from God's word, well, look at this, look at this, look at this, and they say, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I'll change. That's one thing. But when people look at it and say, yeah, I see what you're saying, but no, I'm going to hold on to this presupposition that I had. That's bad. There's a difference. And I'll also say this. We can, there are no oneness Pentecostals or uh, Unitarians or anybody who believes in modalism that we can fellowship with, not just because of their view on the nature of God, but because you'll never find a modalist who gets salvation right. You won't. It always comes with other stuff. Oneness Pentecostals believe you must be baptized to be saved. Oneness Pentecostals believe um, very specific things about the way people should dress and behave and all of that. They're, they're a very legalistic bunch. Um, they get many things wrong. Oneness Pentecostals believe you must speak in tongues to be saved. If you haven't spoken in tongues, you don't have the Spirit of God. So we find with modalism, it always, well, in all of these, it always comes with other heresies. And that's another thing. I know it's anecdotal, um, but that's just another mark against those kinds of beliefs where they come with other heresies. So, um, just something to keep in mind, okay? Doesn't it mess up how you view the whole Bible, really? I mean, like, yeah. Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, how could God be in heaven turning his face back because it hurt him so much to see that? Or who was Jesus yeah. praying to? Or a lot of things, yeah. yeah right. Well, um, the direction I would like to go in my debate, I think the biggest implication of this is right now. Is Jesus interceding for us before the Father? In their view, they, they have to say no, because Jesus and the Father aren't two different persons. So there's no one interceding for us. We have no advocate. Uh, the current ministry of God is deeply affected by this. And uh, we are without hope in the world if we believe in modalism. We have no great high priest who is constantly living to intercede for us, as Hebrews 7.25 says. So. I guess I don't understand. Did I believe that Jesus is eternal? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. So for a oneness Pentecostal, yes, they believe Jesus has always existed, and in the Old Testament, he existed as the Father. Um, Yahweh is who, how he revealed himself to Israel. And one of the arguments they make that they really lean on is... In the Old Testament, you don't see any, any talk about the Son of God. You don't see any talk about um, the Holy Spirit being a separate person from God. What you see in the Old Testament, based on Jew, the understanding of the Jews, is there's one person. Um, there's one God, one person. And that one person came to earth. 
in the form of Jesus, God's son. And then he has returned to heaven. And because he is omnipresent, we have his presence with us and we call that the Holy Spirit. Not, not as the Holy Spirit is a distinct person from Jesus, but it is Jesus, his omnipresence that we call the Holy Spirit. That's their argument. Jerry? Isn't the primary motivation of Buddhism basically wanting to make God understandable to us, that we can comprehend who he is? Um, as you say, stuff comes with that. I mean, how do they view Jesus as an embryo? Well, he's still omnipresent. Yes. at the beginning, theology proper, the incommunicable attributes of God, the words that we, or I, like to use, are transcendence and eminence. Transcendence and eminence. Uh, perhaps the better words are what Francis Schaeffer says over and over, said over and over again, infinite personal. We believe in the infinite personal God. He is both infinite and personal simultaneously. We believe that about God. And when we look at wayward movements and cults, they lean to one side or the other. You'll have deists and other groups of people who will lean to the infinite side and say, God's not personal. We can't understand anything about God. He's infinite. Then you have cult groups, mainly religious cult groups, that lean so heavily on the personal side, but they do away with God's infinite infinity. They just write that off. God is no longer infinite. He's so personal. Well, we believe in both simultaneously. And people want to understand God comprehensively so that he can be more personal to them, so they think. But to do so, you have to sacrifice his word, his revelation to us. Uh, that's the balance we always keep is we say what God says, no more, no less. Okay. All right, other thoughts on this before the next illustration? Tyler. Um, yeah, I think we would all agree that it's inconsistent. Um, but if somebody <laughs> was... Um, solid on soteriology. Do you have a passage in mind that would say that this is a damnable heresy? Um, I've, I've struggled with that for this one for a long time. I'm comfortable saying it's heresy, and I'm comfortable saying God knows where they go, and I'm comfortable saying they need to repent. Yeah. Hmm. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I feel strongly both ways. Yeah, that's right. Uh, just like every politician right now. <laughs> I feel very strongly uh, on all sides of the uh, the issue. Jim. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with the question, will God condemn a person? We're all condemned already. Yeah. Ooh. So uh, the question can you, can you be saved? the question would be, can you cling to this yeah. and be saved? Right. Good. That's a better wording. Yeah. And I, for the last one, I'm very confident in saying, no, you cannot believe that and be saved. For this one, I have more hesitation, but I e equally say repent <laughs> and change. Because again, you lose your intercessor, you lose your high priest, you lose your advocate. 
you twist scripture, you have to twist scripture. And I've never ever heard of one person who believes in modalism and gets salvation right. Never heard of it. So, okay, next illustration. You've certainly heard of this one. God is like a three leaf clover, right? <laughs> the three leaves, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God. One clover, three leaves. One God, three persons. What's wrong with this, you guys? In what sense? I forgot my water bottle. Well, they're not their own. They're not each their own. They're not each God on their own. Yeah, so if you pluck off, say, the leaf there on the left that says sun, if you pluck that leaf off, could you hold it up and say, I found a three-leaf clover? No, no. That's not three-leaf clover anymore, is it? That's one-third of a three-leaf clover. So... The problem is one-third, one-third, one-third come together to make one, and that is not what we believe about the Trinity. That's the heresy of partialism. Parts, parts coming together to make God. Remember, God is a simple being. He's indivisible. He's not made of parts. But this view of the Trinity makes God a three-parted being. God is made up of three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. The three persons make up the one substance. So to combat this, you need to explain... Equality and singularity. That all three are God. All three persons on their own are God. And that there is but one God. Not three that come together to make one God. But there is one God who is a simple, indivisible being. Deuteronomy 6.4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one. Isaiah 43.10 Tyler, you know what that says, don't you? No, now you got to look it up. Isaiah 43.10. Your witnesses and our chosen people, you'll know and understand and believe that I am He. For me, there was no God for him. There will be none after. Okay, good. There is but one. There is no other. John 8.58. Jesus answered and said to them, Before Abraham was born. Before Abraham was born. I am. I am. Good. What's happening all I don't know if it says born. It might. Oh. But he says I am. Or Abraham was. Yes. That's it. That's it. Jesus identifying as the one true God of the universe on his own. On his own. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I am one third of the Godhead. No. Before Abraham was, I am. He's Yahweh. Job 33.4, this is the verse, I believe, about the Holy Spirit created me, the Holy Spirit made me. Can someone confirm that? Job 33.4. And James 2.19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even who believes? The demons believe and shudder. God is but one. He is not three that come together to make one. He is one, indivisible. Job 33.4, what does that say? The Spirit of God has made me. Very good. The Spirit of the Lord God made me. Who can make, create? God alone. Can one third of God create? Oh, I think it's in the auditorium. I was thinking about it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Oh, I, in the front row where I sit? No, don't. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'll just suffer. Uh, the, one third of God cannot create. God, 100% God, can create. Proponents of this view, 
Well, we have St. Patrick from the 5th century who made this view uh, uh, popular. Catholics, question mark, because St. Patrick was a Roman Catholic. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Um, well-intentioned Christians. That's the biggest group, well-intentioned Christians, where they're teaching a kid's class, and, and we, don't, we don't beat up on people for this, okay? Um, you know, you've got a, a sweet lady sitting down with the kids, and how can, we, how can we make the Trinity understandable? And then, oh, I remember once upon a time I heard a three-leaf clover illustration or whatever, and you do it with the kids. It's happened. It's happened in churches. It happens a lot. Okay, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just learn and grow and then go back and say, kids, I made you all heretics. We need to... No, uh, no God is faithful, okay? And we'll just encourage one another in truth and, and correct each other as we see stuff like this going on. So would you confront that person? Oh, yeah. I, I confront anybody on anything because I'm just... A, I'm a loose cannon. <laughs> but, but should we? Should we confront that person? Yes, in love, in grace, gentleness... Because it's most likely that person hasn't even thought of this. That person hasn't been in a theology class, hasn't, been, hasn't thought through the implications of the illustration. Um, and so it's an encouragement or maybe an exhortation to each one of us that we need to think through everything we teach. Even if we think it's just a simple, basic illustration, there's nothing wrong with this, think through it and get counsel on things, all right? <laughs> If someone truly, sincerely believes in partialism, so not the well-intentioned Christian, but someone who truly believes in partialism, will that person is it possible for that person to be saved while believing in partialism? No. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, they're one-third saved. It's good. Yeah. 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 You cannot reject the deity of Jesus and be saved, can you? Now, does everybody who gets saved from the moment they're born again truly fully understand the deity of Jesus? Well, no. I, I think we're all still learning in that, aren't we? Um, to a degree. But if a person is confronted by the scriptures with the teaching that Jesus is the one true God and that person rejects it, that, then we have problems. Then we're, we're going back to the gospel with that person. Okay. If a person is, is not thinking right on that and you show them from the scriptures and again they say, oh, thank you, I'll change my understanding of it, I'll change my view. Okay, well, we're not going to question that person, that person's submitting to the scriptures. But when someone wants to argue with the word of God, that's a problem. Okay. Other thoughts on, on this? When I was first saved, I don't remember how soon after one of the Sunday schools, I was 16 years old, mm -hmm. one of the Sunday schools I attended, they said Jesus was God. And my first reaction was, God is not a man. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they talk. Yeah, they just got to explain the hypostatic union there. Yeah. I didn't understand the Trinity when I was saved. Yes, and no, none of us does. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very few of us come into, get introduced to Christianity already having an understanding of Christianity. Now, a lot of us get saved when we're just pagans without real understanding. Um, but for those who are raised in a Christian home, it might be possible, um, and for some others. But we got to show grace and patience toward one another, don't we? We're all still learning. All right, this one's an easy one. God is like triplet. Father, Son, and Spirit. They've all existed for the same amount of time. All three are God. Like triplets. No, there's three individuals out there. All right, yeah. 
so what's if we were to use theological terms to say what's wrong with this, what would we say? There's, Based on the terms you've learned, Andy? There's three beings and three persons. Very good. You've created three beings at that point. <laughs> Where is the one substance? There is no one substance. You've got three beings. It's called tritheism. Tritheism. The teaching that God's one purpose is revealed in three different beings. Heavenly Father, Christ, and the Holy Ghost are God's. I use some Mormon language there for you. Um, because, I mean, you'll, you'll run across people who believe essentially in tritheism. And you say, well, what about in John 10, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one? That seems pretty obvious. Well, he meant one in purpose, not one in being. They have one purpose. So there are three separate beings, Father, Son, and Spirit, but they have one purpose that holds them together. Well, to combat that, explain the singularity of God. There is only one God, one being of God. There's no room for three beings. When Israel heard, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, they said, okay, there are three beings. That's not what they heard. When Paul wrote to Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He didn't hear, oh, okay, there are three (laughs) beings. That's not what he heard. There is one God. When James wrote, you believe God is one, you do well. They said, oh, yeah, there are three beings. No, that's not how that worked, okay? Explain singularity, and there are some uh, passages for that. I just gave you two of them, Deuteronomy and 1 Timothy. But Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus taught them to baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the three persons share in the one name. Right? Tritheism. Proponents of tritheism, subordinationists, the Arians, I don't know why I said Arianists, Arians, who, uh, maybe this was to be Arianists. Huh, that'll keep me up tonight. Uh, the, they believe, of course, that God the Father created God the Son, and He created God the, God the Spirit. Well, what are you left with? Three beings at that point. Three beings. So Arians believe that, and Latter-day Saints believe in tritheism. They believe in really a smattering of everything we've taught, uh, except for orthodoxy. Um, those are the ones that you'll find tritheism among the most. Will God condemn a person for believing in multiple gods? Yes. Yeah. 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 Easy one, isn't it? It's okay. a variation on polytheism, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it is. All right. Then we're going to do some quick hit illustrations. You've got your little table there. You can write down in the next blank for illustration the egg, egg illustration. But you need to tell me which heresy this falls into. God is like an egg. You have the shell and the white and the yolk. God is like an egg. Which heresy is that? Nope. Okay. (laughs) Partialism. Partialism. Because the three parts come together to make one. Okay. God is like an egg. That's partialism. Now the next um, next one I'm going to show you isn't the illustration I'd like to use, but it best communicates it. So, The Nutty Professor was a movie that came out a long time ago. Do you know who played all those characters? Eddie Murphy played all of them. Uh, the most uh, good. The most uh, 
the most common way that this illustration is taught isn't one actor playing multiple characters. It's usually just like a, a man is a husband and a father, and he goes to work and he's an employee. So God is one, but also three. So one actor can play three roles. God is one, but he is also three. What heresy is this? Modalism. He's taking turns, right? He can't be all three at the same time. He's taking turns in his role as father, in his role as husband, in his role as employee, or as an actor. Okay? How about this one? Apple. Apple. I think this is the last one, right? Apple. Um, God is like an apple. You've got the core, the meat, and the, the skin. Yeah, it's partialism again. Okay? Just like the egg. Partialism once again. And then there's just goofy stuff I just want to show you as being goofy that we just shouldn't engage with, okay? Anytime you see stuff like this, that's goofy. That's goofy. This is some Christian, quote-unquote, Christian material for kids teaching the Trinity. That's bad. That's really bad. Or, um, or the painting of the Sistine Chapel where you've got God with the white beard with the finger going up. That's bad. Don't do that. Okay, don't engage. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. We did apple, water, egg. What's this one? Um, oh, that's just, just summarizing. Okay, just stay away from that stuff. Bad stuff. You, you'll see it all over the place. Stay away. So, so water is partialism also. Modalism. Modalism. The one molecule takes right, most. Right, right, okay. Right. We've got 10 minutes. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. Put, let's fill out there your triangle on the bottom left. In the corners, write down these heresies, and I'll tell you how to use that, how to use that triangle. Okay? You've got subordinationism slash partialism at the top. Bottom left, modalism. And bottom right, you have tritheism slash partialism. Okay, we're making a, a useful little handy-dandy tool here for you. And what this is for is when you're talking to somebody and you realize this person is in one of these camps, one of these three camps, how did that person get there? What do you need to, to talk about to correct that view? That's what this tool is for. Okay, did you, have you gotten those written down? All right, so say you're talking to somebody who's like tritheistic down there in the bottom right. You realize this person believes in three beings. This person believes Father, Son, and Spirit are three separate beings. So maybe your Mormon neighbor, okay? What do you use to combat this teaching? Well, to get to that place, you have to leave off singularity. See that? You take away singularity... And all you have is plurality and equality. That gets you to tritheism. It points to the heresy. You take away singularity, you get that. Okay? If you take away plurality and you just have singularity and equality, you end up with modalism. When you take away equality and you just have singularity and plurality, you end up here with subordinationism. That there's one God who created uh, Son and created Spirit. So there's one God and there's a plurality of beings but not all three are God. So that's how you use that, that uh, triangle. You're talking to somebody who's in one of the corners. How did they get there? Well, you cover up the uh, line that's opposite of that. Okay? 
Now you've got another triangle there, and this is really the only appropriate illustration for the, uh, for the Trinity. It's not an analogy. You can't use an analogy for the Trinity, really. So what you do is you do a triangle and a circle, okay? Uh, someone wants to know, what is the Trinity? Can you explain this to me? All you gotta do is take a piece of paper out, have a triangle and a circle, and you're halfway there. Uh, we believe that there is but one God. We believe that God is one, singularity of God. We believe in Father, Son, and Spirit. And we believe that the Father's not the Son, Spirit is not the Son, Son is not the Father, all around the circle, okay? And all three are God on their own. And there is but one God, okay? That's how you can illustrate the Trinity in a basic uh, form. Make sense to you? The sun part, I don't like that. That's like a starburst looking thing? Yeah. Because that lends itself to subordination. Just get over it, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> if it was a circle, it would look like the sun, too. Just needs to... I'm saying I like yours better. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, thanks, Tyler. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I started talking about some illustrations that might work for the Trinity. Maybe, maybe, even though I wouldn't really want to use them because <laughs> I'm sure they break, they, they will break down. All analogies will break down. They... If, the, if an illustration or an analogy is going to work, it will have to be conceptual, not material. And I talked to you about time, uh, past, present, and future. Past, present, and future exist simultaneously, and there is but one time that we know, right? Uh, math is another one. One times one times one equals one. Okay, is that a helpful analogy? Probably not. But is it heretical? I think it, may, it might escape heresy. Um, so just be careful when you're using any kind of illustration or analogy. I'd say stick with this. And to whoever you're talking to, if they say, well, that, that's not good enough, you say, well, too bad. Too bad. Get over it. Get over it. Get over it. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to try to play this. I did not test it. I don't know what speakers it'll play through. I really hope it plays through the um, uh, TV speakers. Uh, I'm unsure if that will happen. TV, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 11 years old. Okay, let's. It would be almost a miracle if it just worked out. He lives in a car trunk. You're a nursing. Spent a whole week in a car trunk. Okay. Uh, okay. Bad things are happening. <laughs> okay. What, what's going on? This is the um, St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. Have you guys seen this video? Probably several of you have. <laughs> what is going on here? Is this Lutheran satire? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one moment. <laughs> Nothing is uh, working the way it should. It's a great summary of life in general, isn't it? Uh, we're going to fall in place.
Here we go, now we're cooking with oil.
cannot exhaustively know God, can we? Um, and all of our language, all of our reasoning is finite, and we cannot apply finite understanding to the infinite being uh, to create something that is easier for us to understand. We must depend solely on his revelation. How will you know if someone believes the truth or believes a nice-sounding lie? This is just a pretty basic question. How do you discern the difference between the truth and lies? Scripture. Scripture alone. That's it. Because the illustrations, the analogies, they can sound nice. Well, how do you know the difference? The Word of God. How does a proper understanding of God's nature change the way you communicate God to others? Carefully. Yes, that's it. We need to be careful. Not that we're living in constant fear that if we misspeak, there will be a lightning bolt coming down and it will all be over for us. Uh, God, if, you, if your motivations are in the right place, there's little evidence to suggest that God will smite you if you speak wrongly. Um, he is very long-suffering. But we still do have these examples of Ananias and Sapphira <laughs> and those who have taken communion wrongly. Uh, that's why some of them slept. So we need to be careful and we need to live life in the fear of the Lord. Okay. So that's not to say don't speak, but it's also not to say, you know, go out and say whatever you want. Go be, yeah, learn, study, be informed, study, speak truth, um, love God, love neighbor. Okay. Other thoughts or questions? We have 10 seconds. <laughs> Speaking to the middle question, how will you know if somebody believes truth? Obviously, it's through Scripture, but this doctrine of Trinity really is a good way to to find out if somebody is part of the faith uh, historical. It's a, a shibboleth, really, to figure out. Are they Orthodox Christians, or do they fall into one of these other camps of, of heresy cults? Yeah. yeah. Listen. The LDS have their own triangle that they use. They, I drew this for missionaries one time and she was like we have something very similar oh it was wrong so now you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so now so what's important with that is you need to know your scripture references that back up your illustration your triangle okay and then ask them to produce uh scripture for theirs okay all right well thank you you're dismissed <clears> Thank <throat>